Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Ammo Our Chat. My name is Linda Sisler. Uh, tonight we have with us Michael Pierce, who is um, actually going to be chairing the Representational Art Conference out in California in 2014. And uh, also have Barbara and Blanche with us tonight as well. So everybody's here. It should be a great show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, it is our birthday, actually. We started doing this show a year ago uh, in March, and it was around the middle of March, so probably, you know, we may be a couple days belated birthday here, but it is our birthday, and as I was telling uh, our guests and our and my co-host before we went on the air, uh, we actually started out with a couple hundred listeners, and we are averaging now over 8,300 listeners per episode, so thank you all so much for making this show so successful, and we are just so honored that you take time out and listen to us um, on a regular basis, evidently. So we're very, 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 very happy about that. So just wanted to pass along a, a very big thank you, and thank you also for spreading the word about our show. Um, we're just so grateful and, and appreciative of um, your spending time with us and, and uh, just you know liking what we're bringing you. And we're going to continue to do that. And we have a couple great announcements this evening, um, some breaking news, as Michael called it, in, over on Facebook. And... Um, we're going to have a great discussion about emergence and the representational art conference that will be coming up in um, March. I think it's the second through the fifth in um, Ventura, California. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that as soon as we bring Michael in. But I also have a couple few things that I wanted to uh, also announce, and that's the new painting challenge is up. It's a big brush challenge. Uh, that's over on the Facebook group. It's Ammo Painting Challenge. So if you go into Facebook, if you have an account, and you go to the search bar above and type in Ammo Painting Challenge, that should take you to the group. It is a closed group, so if you want to join, you have to ask to join. And I just have a wonderful new co-host, or actually co-administrator, named Jesse. Hi, Jesse. And I uh, wanted to say thank you for joining us there and, and helping me administer to the group because it is growing by leaps and bounds, and Jesse's doing a great job over there um, and co-adminning that with me. So one of us will allow you into the group, and then there will be instructions that you'll be given to, to join in on the Big Brush Challenge. So all the information for the challenge is there on the group as well. So hopefully you'll be able to join us. It's a fun group, very supportive, very constructive. Um, if you ask for critiques, there will be a number of folks who will respond to that, and uh, they all. And uh, the only thing I ask is that they are constructive, and that seems to be going over really well. So check the group out if you get a chance. And then I'll, I wanted to kind of go into our our next segment. Um, so I'm going to bring Blanche and Barbara in here in a second. But one of our goals with this show, and one of our mission statements, I guess, that I've kind of written internally, is that. We want to try to broaden your thinking and introduce you to new concepts and things like that. And, and I think this show gets really into um, doing part of that and, and maybe gets you thinking a little bit more about what your art's going to be saying for generations to come. And um, you know, 
maybe you should be starting to think about that as well. And we have a number of great pointed questions that go to that, and we'll get Michael's opinion on that. Um, so with that, I want to bring in Blanche. Good evening, Blanche. How are you? Hey, Linda. Oh, I'm doing well. I've uh, had a, I've been busy the last couple of days. I'm trying to deliver a lot of paintings to a couple of galleries tomorrow. So I've been photographing them and framing, varnishing, just busy with all that. And I've also been listening to or been uh, reading the e-books that you've written. Thank you so much. Um, oh, thank you. Recently, the Quang Ho's interview was, uh, I was going over that, and it's so much easier to to read the script of the interview, or, or not the script, the uh, transcript of the interview, than it is to listen to the entire interview again and try to write notes quickly. Um, <laughs> yeah. It makes it much easier. I can uh, print it out and, and mark all over it, things that I want to remember, and um, thank you for doing that. Tell me where you get those. It, uh, on, you can look it on your website. Yeah, it's a www. Linda Sisler. It's F as in Frank, I S as in Sam, L E R dot com, and then you'll see a tab that says um, Art Chat Transcript. Transcripts. Yeah. That word is hard to say tonight. But yeah, uh, Art Chat Transcripts. You click on that, and then the transcript ebooks that are available are listed on that page with a real simple Buy Now button to PayPal, and they're also listed um, out on Kindle. Uh, so for folks that have Kindles, but you're actually your yeah. best bet is to buy them off the website because it's a little cheaper. So a little hint there. Okay. Uh, and, and they're, and they're ten dollars. They're ten dollars, and they're PDF files. And it takes. I was doing one the other day, which is for another project that I'm working on uh, with George Gallo. But it, it took me. I figured out it took me about six hours to transcribe the, and that's just to get the words of the sentences down basically for a 90-minute chat. And now I have about another two to three hours to clean them up. So it does take a lot of effort to do it. But it's fun because it's a historical record, and, and I get to listen to the interviews over again. So it's it's fun yeah. that way, too. But, well, thank yeah, you. It's so much easier to hear to, to um, be able to read those than to listen to the interview and, and take notes. It's just much faster. And I, I'm, I like something in my hand, something to look at. Uh, well, I, I do appreciate you saying that. It's um, what, I've gotten a lot of emails from folks who were saying that they wish that they could, you know, that they're putting their brush down when they paint or, you know, picking a pen up or trying to take notes or something like that. So I thought well, maybe it might be useful to, to have something like that out there. And then in another way of, of thinking about it, too, is, you know, I know the audio tapes will be around for however long Blog Talk Radio is around, but, you know, at least to have something written down from these as well as kind of a historical record kind of um mm -hmm. where I was going with it too. So as I get time I'll be I'll be working on those things. But um but yeah, but thank you so much for mentioning that. I appreciate <laughs> that. And congratulations on getting into um the or actually I guess rotating out your work in galleries. So you've been busy. Yeah, I have been. I'm trying to refresh the work and all in several galleries. I sent some out to California a couple of weeks ago and these are both going to galleries in um in Charlotte tomorrow, oh, so uh been keeping me busy. Yeah, great. So I appreciate, or like I guess I appreciate you mentioning the e-books, and um, I'm sure that the folks that know your work in those galleries, the galleries will be happy to start sending something out saying we've got new work for you, so that'll be good. Yeah, yeah. How have you been doing? 
I've been doing well. been doing well. I just found out today that I'm going to have a one-person show here in Middletown. So um, that's, wow. that's going to be fun. Yeah, we're going to do that in July. So, And it's going to be – it's at a music club. And um, we're, I'm going to be pairing with a pretty well-known regional artist, if not nationally known artist, um, who plays blues guitar. So it's going to be fun. So you can come to First Friday in July in, in, in Middletown, Ohio, and then you can um, stay for the music that's being played there too. So it's going to be a fun event. We're, I'm actually going to work with the person and do a lot of promotions. So got a lot of things on the plate. <laughs> that's great. That's exciting. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. And then we also have with us uh, Barbara Coleman. Hi, Barbara. I understand you were in Idaho. I was. Yep. I was up in the wilds of Idaho on the Salmon River and um, had an absolutely wonderful time up there with friends and family. And I wanted to say something too about the the e-books, Linda, that not only is this a labor of love on your part, in my opinion, but I think not only is it a historical record, but I think it's going to have historical significance. Um, You know, I just finished reading Galileo's Daughter, and a lot of the insights into Galileo comes from the letters that she wrote to him that he was able to keep. And I think that, you know, when you read certain things that Rembrandt's students said and wrote down and we can get a sense of his actual words. Um, the fact that we're able to interview some of the top artists of our day and hear their insights and and their passions about their painting, um, I just I just think it's going to be an incredible gift for all of us that you're doing that. Oh, so thanks, thank you, thank you, thank yeah. you. You're welcome. But thank you. Yeah, that was very sweet. And, um, thanks. Yeah, and beyond that, I've been. Um, Painting quite a bit for a show as well up in Denver oh. this spring, and um, and then if I could be a proud mother for just a minute, I yes, you was can. able to watch <laughs> my my beautiful and talented daughter Mia, who's a senior in high school, um, present a portfolio of her work for the past four years, and I have to say it was a very moving experience to watch this young woman um, come into her own, and she really is a Renaissance woman. She is talented and in all areas and and just loves to learn. So I really, you know, I thought, wow, you know, she's also a work of art right there, living, breathing work of art. So um, it was quite it was quite a, a high point of the year yeah, when we were on her present her work. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's exciting. So thank you. Oh, well, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Tell her I said congratulations. That's, that's great. I will, because so, you uh, both know her and she's the Yeah, young. we do. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's. I remember seeing her what about five or six years ago for the first time, and that's you know, just right. Watching and she her grow up each time. Yeah, right. Exactly. And yeah, you know, and it was just yeah. you know watching watching her grow up through the years has been really, really, really fun. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, she's absolutely. so talented. Yeah, she is. I hope she keeps with it. So she will. Hopefully, she'll. She will. Yeah, good. Yeah. Good. Make sure. Yeah, mom. I'm convinced. <laughs> that girl's a live wire. Yeah, she is. She is. She's very sweet, though, too. So, <laughs> okay. So now we want to do is I want to bring in Michael. Hello, Michael. How are you? Hello there. How are you doing? It's so good to okay. be back with you. Yeah, yeah. And you were actually one of our um, first shows, I think. Um, I think we fit you in in the summer of last year. So, um, when Tony Pro actually mentioned the representational art conference, the one that happened in 2012, and um, you know, I. 
I think I contacted you then to, to do something, and it was kind of all, you know, real quick because I think the conference took place in October, so um, it's really going to be good to, to have you on, you know, this much in advance because, we're, well, we're going to have a special announcement about that in a few minutes, but um, basically just to recap um, quickly, in case you guys didn't notice, Michael has a little bit of a British accent, so uh, we'll thought, say that he was born in Lincolnshire, Britain, and is a figurative artist, and um, you've actually... Um, you're the, I'm not sure exactly how this works. You'll be able to tell me, but Quai um, Fong, is it Quan Fong Gallery? Did I say that right? Yes, you did. It's the Quan Fong Gallery in, in uh, California Lutheran University in Thousand Oaks, California. Right, and you just curated and I assume was part of the man show there. Tell us about a little bit about the concept of, of that show. Well, that was quite a show. It, it's still on. It's going. Uh, it's going to be in the gallery until April 20th, in fact. Uh, so if you're anywhere near Ventura County in California, then you should swing by and visit. Uh, I know that's quite a long way to go for, for some folks who are going to be listening right now. Uh, but uh, the show's open for another month or so, uh, and I do hope lots of people come and see it. I think it's quite a, an important show, actually. Um, uh, the reason that uh, we're doing it is that uh, we did a show about, two years ago, I guess, uh, the new romantic figure. And uh, I invited uh, some 10 or 12 artists to participate in that. And everyone did pictures of women. And I thought, this is strange. Where are all the guys? You know, there's no men here. <laughs> and uh, a couple of people commented, there's no paintings of men. Actually, there were two or three, but uh, they, were, they were pretty thin on the ground. And so I thought that would be a great, uh, a great uh, topic for a show. And so I invited uh, a bunch of artists to uh, participate by making their idea of men. Uh, and uh, boy, we got some fantastic artists involved. Uh, Tony Pro, who you mentioned earlier on, uh, Alexi Steele, of course, and uh, Jeremy Lipking uh, were in it. Uh, some, uh, some heavy-hitting folks. Uh, Felicia Forte came down from San Francisco. Uh, Stephen DeLuce from Texas, who's an awesome guy, by the way. He flew out here for the reception and was just a, a real treat. And such a nice guy to hang out with. I really enjoyed meeting him. Wow. Uh, and so so the show came together beautifully, and we have uh, some 35 paintings in it, uh, filling the walls of the gallery, and it's going over very, very well. Very good reception from uh, from uh, numerous people. We had a great time at the opening reception, by the way. You missed out. You should have flown out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wish it was a little bit cheaper to fly out from Ohio to, to California. I'd probably be out there every weekend if I could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I call my parents in England and um, tell them that I'm pruning my roses and it's January, and, and they, they shout at me because it's snowing and raining and foggy. And oh, miserable. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then um, last time you were with us, you were art department chair at Cal Lutheran. And yes, no longer. Right I, I'm on sabbatical, yeah. yeah. I'm done. What, what are you uh, focusing on? Uh, well, I, I'm uh, I'm back to painting, and my my sabbatical project uh, was to research pre-Raphaelite painting technique and really understand what's going on. Uh, so I did a bit of traveling. I went over to England to see the pre-Raphaelite show at the at the Tate Britain, uh, which was a, a just a gorgeous treat uh, of a show to see uh, to see all those pre-Raphaelites, the, the real deal pre-Raphaelites, uh, in that uh, in that exhibit, uh, and to examine rather carefully their technique. And uh, kind of eye-opening to see how popular that show was, too. Uh, huge lines to get into it. Uh, meanwhile, they had the, um, uh, 
the uh, uh, Turner Prize exhibit, and you know you could just wander into that at will. There's no line at all for that. Uh, so I think there's something to be said for the democratic appeal of the Pre-Raphaelites. That a lot of people were very, very keen to see it. And then uh, I've been studying, so I've been studying them and applying their technique to my own uh, painting uh, and uh, building a body of work uh, to uh, to show. Uh, allegorical symbolism based on a, a series of uh, allegorical symbols that I've been researching from about 1450 uh, and looking at them uh, and trying to understand what's going on in those uh, pre uh, those Renaissance paintings. Anyway, so I'm continuing with that and uh, working on a new piece now. And, and are you also, I, we have talked about this a little bit, so I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds, but you're also writing a book, right? I am, yeah. yeah. It's an epic book. It, it's such a long book. It, um, it, it's going to be about a quarter of a million words. It's one of those doorstop <laughs> books, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's uh, it's horrifying. I've got a I've got a file on my computer with each of the chapters. I, I, I foolishly I broke it down into chapters and put estimates of the word count that I would like to see, and then color coded everything in this sort of nightmarish. Uh, color bar breakdown of this thing and, and uh, <laughs> nearly all the chapters I'm afraid are bright red uh, and not the glowing blue of perfection <laughs> it's awful long way to go it was such well, a bad remember, idea, I wish I hadn't done it I said, remember you're a visual person so you gotta yeah, have right. paintings and yeah. stuff so. <laughs> yeah. well, it, it really too. is fun oh I'm sorry I talked over you no, no, go ahead, go ahead, no, go ahead Michael uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying uh, writing it because it's really clarifying what I'm thinking about in the, in the production of the paintings, uh, yeah. because the paintings are all about the book. You know, e each painting is a, is a chapter in the book. Uh, so it, it really helps me to do this research into the idea as it was in 1450, and then track the idea, uh, the, the allegorical symbol. Uh, for example, uh, a painting of the fool, uh, and see how the fool. Uh, transforms over time from 1450 to 1650 and into the present. It's, it's kind of fascinating, uh, notions like that. Because uh, the fool, I, I don't want to digress too much, but the fool starts out in 1450 in paintings as, as a, a, a representation of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and he's got feathers in his hair. Uh, because mm -hmm. he's, it, it talks about Nebuchadnezzar having uh, feathers in his hair and his fingernails grow out like claws. And so foolishness as, as the punishment for hubris is to become, I'm sorry, foolishness is the punishment for hubris uh, in the 15th century. And then that changes as time's go, time goes by and uh, people get more uh, freedom to express different ideas and it, it transforms and becomes this uh, sort of combination of, of a mama uh, performer, uh, you know, a, a, a court fool. Uh, and changes like that, and then it becomes quite mystical in the 20th century. And so you see this idea transforming. I, I'm really fascinated uh, by that kind of thing, that ideas can shift and alter uh, through time. It's really it's really neat. Uh, it's oh, so wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, you can just tell that this is really becoming your voice, Michael, because you just, you know, you sound so passionate, and everything you're doing is, you know, around that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah everything is tied together in one way or another, I think. Yeah, yeah. So let's um, let's move on to um, actually one of our other one of our announcements or two of our announcements. Actually, you have one about um, track that has to do with the speakers. So I'm yeah. going to let you talk about that first. 
Well, thank you. First of all, let me explain what track is, because there might be mm -hmm. folks um, who, who aren't aware of it. Uh, the Representational Art Conference is a conference, as it would appear, about representational art. We're, we're really interested in having a platform for people to talk about what's going on in representational art, uh, to discuss it, to meet other people that, who are part of the representational art community. Uh, because prior to the conference, there really wasn't any national venue for that. There wasn't any conference that allowed you to talk about representational art. Uh, you would think that uh, the the um, the uh, College Art Association would have something going on, but there's there's just nothing. There's nowhere, uh, and yet representational art is probably the most democratically appealing form of art, uh, and that uh, that is uh, uh, rather evident, I think, in in the art that we see, uh, and the art that appeals to people generally. Uh, so the conference is there for for you, for us. We we love representational art, uh, and we want to talk about it, and we want to participate in the conversation. Uh, so it's a platform for discussion, basically. Uh, the first one was, uh, as you mentioned earlier on, Linda, in 2012. Uh, and, boy, can I tell you what a terrifying experience it was putting it on. Uh, I was yeah. up to the moment that we opened it. And uh, oh. it was such a relief uh, to to say we've done it, we're here, this is it, <laughs> and then uh, yeah. then just sort of let it have its own life. It was a fantastic mm -hmm. feeling to to be able to do it. Uh, but we need to keep doing it. We we need to we need to provide a framework for thinking about representational art. I think it's really important that we do it. Uh, so 20, uh, 2014 uh, is the next one, uh, March second through fifth. Uh, of 2014, we've already made an announcement about the first keynote speaker, uh, who's a, a, just a, a giant star, uh, a guy called Roger Scruton, uh, who uh, is a, a wonderful author. Uh, he wrote a book called On Beauty that many people may have read. If, if you haven't read it, I really rec recommend that you open that book up. It's a, a beautiful piece of work uh, about uh, why, why beauty is important in art, and why we need it, uh, why it's important to humans to have beauty in their lives. Um, and he's also the writer and host of uh, a television show produced by BBC Two uh, uh, called uh, Why Beauty Matters. And that uh, show, yeah. if uh, you remember seeing that, really did the rounds on the web uh, and caused a lot of stir and a lot of talk. It's hard to find now, but um, I found a, a copy of it that had been subtitled in Turkish or something like that. So you can find it yeah. on the web still. Uh, if you do a search mm -hmm. for it. And yeah, it, I watched that. That was something Scott Christensen recommended watching. It was Why Do yeah, Matter. Yeah. It was an amazing oh, yeah. uh, video. Oh, beautiful. Really fantastic and and so worth watching. I recommend it very, very highly. Um, so do take a look at that. Uh, so he's our first keynote speaker. Uh, but uh, then uh, here's the, the new uh, part and the, the the announcement that we're making. And that is that uh, we've got Juliet Aristides, uh, as our second keynote speaker. And uh, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to have her on. She's been a, a hero of mine uh, for quite a while. She wrote uh, the Classical Drawing Atelier and the Classical Painting Atelier, both books that I've uh, used in my classroom here when I'm teaching students about, uh, about uh, traditional uh, studio technique. And uh, she has a recent book, I think, uh, released a year or two ago, uh, called Lessons in Classical Drawing, which uh, has become a, a, a classroom text for us here at Kalu uh, as well. Uh, and she is just a lovely person. I believe you've interviewed her on, on the show, haven't you? Yes. Yes, we did. We did in July, I think, of last year, because she was also that weekend with the Masters. 
So uh-huh. that was a wonderful interview. So very insightful. Well, she's such a lovely person, and she's she's very down to earth and and very practical and uh, very sort of iron willed about uh, about getting representational art uh, training uh, firmly established. She's wonderful, uh, it's a real real treat. I met her for the first time. She came here uh, actually to see the Man Show. She came to the opening reception, and it was just it, it was kind of unreal to be standing in the gallery and looking around at uh, all the art on the walls and and wow there's Juliet Aristides over there you know Gosh, <laughs> it it was a, it was really a strange moment for me i i felt uh, i felt uh, quite extraordinarily peculiar uh, seeing that it was kind of like that at track as well to be in the presence of all these amazing people fantastic artists who i admire mm-hmm. A, a huge amount. It's just extraordinary to be able to meet them and spend time. I, I never thought that that would happen. It, never in my life. So it's a, a real, real pleasure to have her uh, at the conference. Um, if you want to uh, learn a bit about her, uh, then uh, I would suggest you visit the website, of course, and uh, that's uh, super easy to find. It's track2014.org. So it's t r a c two zero one four dot org. Uh, and there's uh, there's a, a bit of a spread there on on both uh, Roger Scruton uh, and Juliet uh, on that page. Yeah, it. Um, I was out looking up some information on Roger earlier, and actually we had talked about Roger as well. And um, mm-hmm. it, it's going to be a really great um, complement to each other to have Juliet and Roger um, both talking on this the subject, which we'll get to what the subject of Track um, 2014 is. But before we do that, we also have another announcement, uh, which is that uh, AMOR Chat is going to be at track, uh, broadcasting live, like we did with We Going to the Masters, uh, with the Masters. Um, Michael has asked us to do that, and we're very honored and excited about doing it. And um, also, we're going to be probably putting together with a uh, special series of interviews leading up to that conference, which will be separate from our monthly show. So... Starting in about September, we'll probably have one, if not two, shows a month, and we'll be focused. The second show that we're going to do that in the, in the month it will be specifically show, focused on the Representational Art Conference. Michael has agreed to be our co-host for that as well. Um, so we'll be bringing in a lot of the folks that are presenting there and um, doing interviews with them. And Juliet has already agreed to do our September show. So... Uh, we're very happy uh, about this. So thank you, Michael, for inviting us out to the, the conference and covering it. Well, my pleasure. I think it's uh, it's super important to let people hear what's going on uh, if they can't be there. You know, we we want to build the community. Uh, it's really important that we, we know who we are. And uh, the conference is, as I said earlier on, is precisely for that. Uh, we want people to be invited to join in the conversation, talk about what we're doing and what, what other artists in the representational art world are up to. Right. So Michael and I have a year to plan out how we're going to do this coverage. So, um, you know, it may be a little bit different than what we did with Begin with the Masters. It was one of the things, I mean, I'm not going to spill any beans, and I'm not going to promise them anything at this point, but Michael and I will have a lot of conversations <laughs> over the the upcoming months to figure out how we can possibly do some things that we want to do and um, may even actually might try to do a test run if we could and, and something as well. But um, we've got a lot of great ideas that Michael and I have been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And um, 
I think the ideas probably just keep growing, unfortunately, right, Michael? So right. We'll probably have a list, you know, two two pages of things that we want to do and, and only three days to do them in. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's a and it is March. Yeah, it is March 2nd through the 5th, right, Michael? Right, March 2nd through 5th. And uh, registration is not quite open yet on the website, but you can sign up for the newsletter there uh, and uh, make sure you get all the information that we can we can get out there. Uh, we won't overwhelm your mailbox, don't worry. Uh, we, we're <laughs> gentle on your mailbox. But it's all going to be stuff that uh, I think anyone who's interested in representational art, you're going to be interested in what's going on. Uh, so mm-hmm. don't be afraid. Sign up for the for that mailing list and um, subscribe to the, the website there. Well, and I, I think um, one of the things that we can lead into here, oh, and actually I wanted to mention as well, is on the website you also ask uh, for folks, you've opened up, I guess, for papers to be submitted right. on specific subjects that you have listed out on the website, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. We're looking for academic papers, uh, which uh, generally speaking are about aesthetics. Uh, with Roger Scruton, you know, of course, is a is a philosopher and aesthetician, and writes about why beauty matters, as we said earlier on. Uh, and that's that's kind of what we're interested in right now. We're we're really keen to know more about the why of what we do. At Track 2012. Uh, we did a lot of talking about uh, about what had happened before, uh, and we talked a lot about postmodernity uh, and how postmodern art is thriving. Uh, you know, in spite of how uh, the, the ideology of it seems to have collapsed, uh, the, we're still dominated by postmodern uh, culture. And you look at people like Tracy Eamon, who's now professor of drawing at the British Academy, and she's famous for her tent uh, piece. Uh, and, and you know nothing about uh, representational art emerges at all there. Uh, Damien Hurst is a, a CEO basically of a multi-million-dollar corporation and dabbling in property development. And then uh, you've got Larry Gagosian gathering his fortune and uh, uh, Saatchi doing the same thing in England. Uh, so it's not like uh, postmodernity has fallen apart and disintegrated, and, and all of a sudden there's a golden light shining. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Uh, but uh, but track uh, was important because it gave us permission uh, as a community. It, it gave us permission to go back to our studios and get to work, knowing that we're not by ourselves. We're not alone, uh, and uh, we can we can prevail. We're gonna do we're gonna do okay. Uh, the 2014 track uh, is a bit different because now we know that we're a community. Well. What does that mean? What does it mean to be making representational art? I mean, why why are we doing it? What's the purpose of it? Because we need to know why. Uh, you know, if you think about um, all great movements, uh, like, for example, let's just take some really giant examples of that, American democracy uh, or, or the French Revolution or, or, or postmodern art, all of, these, um, all of these movements have an ideology behind them that supports them and, and drives them, and there's this relationship between the work that's being made because of the ideology uh, and the work itself. And we need that in representational art. We have to have this uh, conversation between the studio uh, and the desk. Uh, We need the writers to be thinking about what we're doing just as much as we're thinking about what writers are doing. Uh, And looking at, uh, we need to look at each other and talk to each other. So there are some big questions to, to look at. And what's our relationship to the world, for example? Are we are we totally addicted to realism? And what does realism mean? Why realism? 
I think that's fascinating. What does it mean to make a painting which is an object in its own right? It isn't a, a real thing. It's a, it, I mean, it is a real thing in its own self. But it, if you paint a landscape, that's not a real landscape. It's a painting. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it's, not, it's not a real thing. And I think that this is a fascinating uh, challenge to think about what that means to us and why we do it. Uh, also, what's the place of beauty? For probably a hundred years now, beauty has been taboo uh, and hasn't been spoken about uh, in the academy. And uh, I think beauty is real and uh, it should be spoken about. Uh, what about uh, metaphysics and, and uh, what's, the, what's the nature of God and religion in, in uh, painting? And how do we deal with that? Because, again, that's been totally neglected. Uh, so I'm, I'm really fascinated by these ideas that haven't been looked at. What, what's missing in the postmodern world uh, that gets neglected? Yeah. So hopefully we'll get some of the answers to that. And if you're, if you're uh, an academic writer of some sort, then please do go right ahead and get onto the uh, website and take a look at what we're looking for. There's a number of titles there. There's probably 10 or 15 different uh, uh, topics that we would like to see papers written about. That's not, of course, the ultimate limit to what we want to see. Uh, other papers will be considered too, uh, but, uh, but certainly we want to see papers in, on those themes. Okay. Um, you, you kind of talked a little bit about 24, so I'm going to skip ahead to Barbara. Why don't we start with your question? And, um, okay. And then, and Blanche, check your email. <laughs> oh, <Barbara. laughs> I'm going to jump in. Um, sure. Michael, are the conferences one way we can begin to have a body of written work to go with the body of artwork that is being produced? And you know, and we were just talking about this, but why is it so important to have a body of written work as well? well you have to have that dialogue. You've you just got to have it. Um, every now and again, uh, we hear protests from, from folks who are uh, good artists, and they, they, they want to just hide in the studio and make art. Uh, and that's great. It's awesome to be in the studio making art. But we want to have that discussion going on as well. Otherwise, we become uh, sort of hermit artists, and uh, uh, we're not part of the mainstream of culture because the, the mainstream of culture is driven by ideas. You imagine America without the idea of freedom, without the ideas that are embodied in the Constitution, and America falls apart without that, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're driven mm-hmm. by ideas, and uh, we, we need that just as much in representational art. We've had a hundred-year gap of discussion about the ideas that drive representational art, and that's no good. Uh, and I think we, we can't just look back at those ideas that existed 100 years ago either. We need to look forward and create uh, more dialogue that, that, um, that, uh, that emerges from what, from what we're doing now. Well, could you summarize what you see as those main ideas from 100 years ago, just to give us a, a base? Wow. Uh, well, I don't know that I can. Uh, I think certainly you, you saw a, a fledgling renaissance in Britain uh, with the arts and crafts movement, which uh, was mm-hmm. kind of cut short by World War One and then World War Two, uh, and I think that that, that really put a, uh, really crushed that uh, that rather beautiful uh, renaissance that was happening there. That I think had it could have had a much greater longevity uh, than it uh, than it had. Uh, the 19th century saw, of course, the Pre-Raphaelites and Victorian Romantics, 
mm-hmm. rising up and, and uh, making some just wonderful works of art. Uh, Oscar Wilde actually came over here to the United States and spoke uh, about the, um, this uh, British Renaissance. Uh, then, uh, actually, can I give you a, a little quote? I, I've got yes. some Oscar Wilde right here. Um, he says, um, uh, I remember once in talking to Mr. Burne Jones, you, you remember Burne Jones, of course, the great uh, pre Raphaelite, second wave pre Raphaelite. Uh, I remember once in talking to Mr. Burne Jones about modern science, he's saying to me, The more materialistic science becomes, the more angels shall I paint. Their wings are my protest in favor of the immortality of the soul. I just think this is so wonderful. The more rational uh, everything becomes, the less imagination there is in it. There's, there's no room for emotion or love or beauty or elegance. And I think these things are absolutely essential to, to us. We need them. We, we can't live without beauty or love or truth. And all those things, we've got to have them. And I think Oscar Wilde names it. Uh, he says something else, uh, too. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that, too, if you want. Uh, he yeah. says, uh, love art for its own sake, and then all things that you need will be added to you. This devotion to beauty and to the creation of beautiful things is the test of all great civilized nations. Philosophy may teach us to bear with equanimity the misfortunes of our neighbors, and science resolve the moral sense into a secretion of sugar. But art is what makes the life of each citizen a sacrament and not a speculation. Art is what makes the life of the whole race immortal, for beauty is the only thing that time cannot harm. Philosophies fall away like sand, and creeds follow one another like the withered leaves of autumn. But what is beautiful is a joy for all seasons and a possession for all eternity. And I, I, I just read this, and it, it, it makes my hair stand on end, you know? Because where yeah. do you hear something like that anymore? And, and this yeah. is what we need. We need... Oh, yeah. We need 21st century beauty. Uh, I think beauty is the answer to the the um, the, the emptiness that uh, that many people feel in the, 20, the 21st century. This negative life that we've been uh, immersed in for a hundred years now. Beauty can be the answer to that. Well, thank you. That was a, that that was a beautiful. Answer. Oh yeah, that's a wonderful thought, Michael. Let- Let's talk a little bit about the very eloquent paper that you provided us and um, Linda shared through uh, the AMO blog about emergence. If anyone hasn't read that, um, it's well worth. Pull that up on the AMO blog. Emergence has a bit of a scientific meaning, but also goes toward introducing the concept as it being the opposite of modernity. For yeah. those who may have not read the paper yet, may I ask you to start our conversation on emergence and how simple things can become more complex and develop characteristics that cannot be predicted by examining the things that make them. Can Can you explain? Sure. Um, this uh, I, I got this idea uh, from uh, actually meeting a gentleman called Philip Clayton, who's a, a theologian, in fact, and he's been looking at science. And uh, I'm not so sure I entirely agree with his theology, but uh, he's very interesting because he was talking about this emergence in science and emergent qualities. And I thought, well, you know what? I can apply that to art. What does this mean in art? What does emergence mean uh, if you look at uh, at representational painting and uh, the ideas that drive that? Now, here's the thing. Think about water. Water is wet, right? 
Well, water, when you, when you look downward and inward and you break it down into its pieces, as one does if one's a rationalist scientist, and as we have done for probably 200 years or so, uh, we're always looking downward and inward to break things into their smaller pieces in order to understand them. Now, when you look at oxygen and hydrogen, which are the two pieces of water, there's nothing at all about oxygen and hydrogen that's going to make you think of wetness, right? Nothing. But right. when you put them together, this miracle happens. There's this amazing quality of wetness. And it's a quality that isn't predicted by a deconstruction or an analysis of the molecules that make it. It's an emergent property. And this is the idea of emergence. And you can see the same sort of things if you look at birds flying. If you look at a swarm of flies by the side of the road, I've seen these kind of tornadoes of flies uh, in uh, in the, uh, the Midwest there. Uh, and, and the way they move is an emergent structure because the collective movement isn't predictable by looking at an individual member of that bird flock. It doesn't, it doesn't suggest that kind of movement. And that's totally the opposite uh, of modernity. Instead of looking inward and downward, as one does uh, if one is a, is a postmodernist and breaking things into pieces uh, to reassemble them, uh, if you're looking upward and outward at what the qualities are as a result of all the small pieces that compose a thing, uh, then you get quite different results. Uh, and that's why I wrote the uh, the paper uh, that uh, you're talking about, uh, to, to, to think about what this meant. Uh, so I, I think this is something that's relevant for us uh, in the present to help us understand uh, how we can go forward. Uh, and uh, let me just go really far back for a minute, though. In the paper, I talk about Paleolithic art, uh, and I've been kind of fascinated by this recently, looking at rock art, uh, and you look at things that have been made by people 40,000 years ago. I mean, good Lord, 40,000 years ago. Uh, that's unbelievable. We were in the Ice Age. Uh, the whole of Europe was uh, was a, a, a uh, an icy tundra <laughs> where people were dressed up in furs to keep warm and hunting these gigantic uh, herds of, of creatures. It's such a completely different world. Uh, but um, uh, they, they're still making or beginning to make representational imagery right there. And so I looked at, um, at the features that I could identify from from these uh, these amazing drawings and paintings and uh, early sculptures and uh, tried to understand uh, what was going on in them. Uh, and uh, I came up with a few uh, a few things. First of all, uh, do you remember that uh, John Naver uh, spoke at Track uh, 2012? He talked about uh, how we're like sharks uh, because representational artists haven't changed. We're still making those uh, those same marks. Uh, and painting things that we see, uh, and, you know, using a bit of charcoal on a cave wall is about the same thing as I do in my painting studio here. I'm making marks on a, on a canvas. It's really not that far off. Um, and so that representational theme of looking at what we see in the world and then making an imitation of it is one of these elements, one of these pieces that when you put them together, uh, comprise emergent art. Uh, so representation. And then symbolism. There are, there are images of, of people with animal heads. Uh, and you can't look at these uh, images without understanding that these people 40,000 years ago understood symbolic thinking. They, they knew that a person with an animal head wasn't real. 
it was a symbol of an idea. It was the 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 spirit of the animal or, or whatever they saw in that. It was an idea. And then thirdly, uh, in the caves, you see pattern. There's uh, handprints all over the place, just forming these abstracted patterns. And there are grids of uh, of uh, lines and uh, just fingerprints that scrape lines across the wall and. Now, these are the elements that make uh, that make art from the very beginning, and I think that they're like oxygen and hydrogen. They're the beginnings of of art. They make up the water of painting and sculpture. Mm-hmm. And like water, uh, they have a quality that emerges from them uh, that's bigger than the elements that make it. Uh, and those those things are, are things like beauty uh, and truth. And it doesn't matter how much you talk about beauty or how much you talk about wetness. The words are always inadequate. It's, it's much simpler to experience it. That doesn't mean it's not real. You, you experience beauty. Beauty is a real thing, uh, and you experience it, and that experience is genuine. But it's very difficult to explain it <laughs> because oh, it's an it emergent is. quality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's amazing you have uh, brought that concept from science to art. Uh, it's just wonderful to think about that. I think it's true. Uh, uh, personally, uh, I think there's uh, uh, there's an element of truth. It's really a very simple thing. I wouldn't take credit for it at all. Philip Clayton introduced me to this idea. Uh, but uh, I think it works with art very effectively. Uh, there, there's, there's transcendence in art as well. I mean, all of us, don't, don't we all stand in front of a work of art at some point and think, goodness, this is the most fantastic, beautiful thing. And the art uh, kind of meets you, right? It, it confronts you, and you're met by the art. And you have this moment when, I, I don't know, you feel like crying, or you feel like love, or, 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 or as if you're being taken out of the world, and all the other people in the gallery are immaterial and disappear. Mm-hmm. And, right? Everyone has this experience. Yeah. Uh, we don't have it at well, the same time, necessarily, but we all have it. And I think that that transcendence that art can make is is another emergent quality because it's a result of, of uh, amazing quality of work and craftsmanship that's gone into the work, uh, decorative elements that have gone into it, and uh, and actually the experience of being in that place at that time yourself and all the things that have happened in your life to bring you to that work of art then. And those elements are the uh, create that emergent quality of transcendence before the art. Yes, and, and I think you wrote in your paper about how um, the concept that one piece of art would be would would do that would bring someone to transcendence, and not another person. It depends on your special yeah, it's on, on the, the circumstances, the the different elements that make up your life. What what are the oxygen and hydrogen of your life that bring you yeah. to that piece of work? Then then it makes sense, right? It's an yeah. emergent quality. It, it's, a, it's a construction of all those things together. And you won't find it by analyzing the little pieces that make it. It's mm-hmm. only by putting them together that it can, can emerge. And it becomes very difficult to explain because, it's, because of that. It's complex. Hmm. Well, that, so, that really goes back to um, the old saying, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. This is not a new yeah. idea at all. It's been yeah. around the long time. You know, time. when you were describing even the, the Paleolithic art, I had the opportunity to not be in the original cave in Lascaux because that had been closed to the public, but they had done a complete replica where every even indentation in the rock and curve, everything had been 
replicated exactly. So mm. being in that environment was an experience of not only my life and a sense of timelessness in my life, but it was also a shared experience of, you know, whoever it was who had painted that animal on the curve of a rock so that the rump was painted on, on a jutting part of the rock, you know, mm. so it was also mm. very sculptural. You know, it felt to me like, you know, transcendence, as you describe it, also seems to be tied in with a sense of timelessness. Yeah. That there is well, yeah. there is an, uh, an eternal yeah. um, connection somehow that can be um, experienced. Indeed, and again, John, John Nava talks about that in his paper. By the way, the, the um, track uh, papers are going to be published pretty soon. I, I can't wait to get them out there. It'll be on uh, Amazon.com uh, within Great. probably a month, I hope, if, if it all works out. It sounds like it will. Uh, anyway, uh, you'll have to keep your eyes open for that. And do read John yeah. Nava's paper in there because it really is good. It's a, a wonderful piece of writing. Uh, and anyway, he talks about us, as I said earlier, being the sharks of the uh, of the art world that we 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 keep uh, making representational art. Uh, and he talks about that that the hand of the artist reaching up to make those marks forty thousand years ago is the same as us, and we're there just as immediately before that image as those yeah. people were when they made those images forty thousand years ago. Yeah, that's an amazing thought. Isn't it? it? I mean, it's yeah. just right there, and it hasn't changed. It, it's the yeah. same thing. We're it the sharks. So much. <laughs> yeah, Linda, have you got the Jaws music there? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm like kicking myself. Do, do. I probably could have loaded that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, yeah, I was just sitting there thinking about that. I, I thought maybe I'd sit in the background and just go, do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, speaking about um, John and sharks, uh, one of the questions that we wanted to talk to you a little bit about, too, was um, how would you describe or discuss the difference between the 19th century representational art or artists and the 21st century art and artists? Yeah, yeah that's a that's a really good question, isn't it? it and that's the challenge for us. Um, because I think, I think the temptation for us is to look back at uh, the 19th century and, and, uh, and make art that's really indebted to it and, uh, and copies it. Uh, you know, and, and make uh, make pictures of, of costumed uh, models and, and all that, and that and that's great. I, I, they're beautifully made. They're wonderful to look at, but but they're not really 21st century in some ways. They don't really reflect our time now. And uh, I, I think that um, uh, it's important that we make art that's a, about about us, uh, that's about what we're doing and where we're going and what we're thinking, because. This isn't the tw this isn't the 19th century, uh, and we we do need to come up with our own ide ideas that um, uh, that uh, uh, emerge in our work. Um, and what what are those ideas? Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with imagination and encouraging imagination uh, to uh, to do that. Uh, and I think uh, there's a certain amount of um, uh, uh, reactionary thinking that needs to happen to some extent. Uh, we need to move away from the 20th century and get away from the negativity of the 20th century uh, and uh, put ourselves in a place of receptivity of, of beauty uh, and to open ourselves to beauty. But what does that mean? Uh, what, what does that mean to open ourselves to beauty and open ourselves to imagination? How do we do that? Uh, in our work, and there, there's the challenge right there. 
You see, uh, looking at the Hudson uh, Hudson River School, uh, looking at their paintings uh, as I did this morning, um, it really struck me that the the work is kind of realistic, but kind of not, uh, because it's so dramatic. Much of that work is super dramatic and beautifully lit, and, and there's this... Um, a sense of, of uh, God in the work, which is what they were after. They were really interested yeah. in, in the manifestation of, of God in nature. Uh, and you can really see that in that work. And so I think having a, a really clear idea behind the work that you make uh, is, is really rather important. Uh, you know, getting out and painting the landscape is fabulous. And I've seen some just unbelievably fantastic landscape painting that's being done uh, uh, right now. Uh, but where's the idea behind it? What's driving it? What takes you beyond uh, simply being in the landscape and making a record of a beautiful meadow? What, what carries the work uh, further? What makes it bigger than that? Uh, and that's, I, I think, one of the challenges for us. And then how does it reflect 21st century? How do you make a 21st century landscape that's also beautiful? And I, I think some people do it. Uh, uh, Julio Reyes uh, is is working uh, like that. Uh, he's painting paintings that are absolutely 21st century, uh, usually with figures in them. But in the landscapes that uh, the figures uh, occupy, uh, th these are unmistakably 21st century landscapes. They're really dramatic and, and quite impressive. I, I really admire his work. It's super good. Yeah, there's... Um also an artist that lives in your backyard, Michael, I don't know if you know her or not, but you might want to check into it, is Jennifer McChristian. And she actually takes a lot of unique subjects, um, things that I wouldn't think about painting, and, and turns them into wonderful paintings. And one of them um, that I was admiring earlier today was uh, a painting of a street crew patching concrete on the street in L.A. Uh-huh. And it was just, you know, it's one of these things, it's like, gosh, I never would have thought that that could be such a beautiful painting that, that she right. turned it into. And yet it's very, you know, it, it's the streets of our century. And, and so yeah. there's some unique yeah. subject matter there that that's out there that um, maybe could yeah. be interpreted into this some way as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think, again, this, this is why the conference is there, because we need to discuss these things, because there's lots of ideas about it. What, what is sublime, for example? What, what, what is the place of the sublime now, uh, which has changed? You know, the sublime isn't just something pretty. The sublime, when you read what, sublimi what sublimeness uh, comes from, uh, is about uh, a landscape or, or a thing that is actually kind of terrifying. It's so impressive and so frightening in its aspect that it has an effect on you when you're looking at a painting of something something that is super dramatic and sublime. Uh, it has that impact upon you. Uh, uh, the, the paintings of, of Martin, for example, those huge uh, uh, landscape uh, paintings of, of the end of the world, they, they're kind of terrifying. And you look at these things and they're so big that you feel like you're actually in the landscape. Uh, and the whole place is blowing to pieces. It's kind of like watching a, a, a end of the world movie, <laughs> and, right. and spectacular. Yeah. Uh, and so, how do, how does that come into um, the conversation uh, of what is beauty and what is sublime? Good question. Yeah, I, I don't have an answer for you. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Okay, Barbara. 
Well, so, you know, we do keep circling back around to beauty, and that is, again, one of the emergent qualities you mentioned in the paper. Right. So, like water, beauty is something that needs to be experienced to be fully understood. Um, And yet, you know, it is subjective, because I can stand in front of, and, and we can just limit this to painting right now, but I can stand in front of one painting and have that, transcendental experience of its beauty, but um, you could stand in front of it and not experience that at all. Right. As you said earlier, you could feel that beauty somewhere else. Um, Yes, but but I'll disagree with it being subjective. It's not subjective. Beauty is real. Beauty is as real as as standing on a concrete roadway or or sitting in the chair that I'm sitting in right now. It's it's a real thing. We experience it. it. It's real. Uh, and that that means it's not subjective. Uh, the difference is that you, the the set of experiences that lead you to stand in front of that painting uh, are experiences that are rather unique to you. Uh, but that mm-hmm. that experience of beauty that's presented by that painting that provides that transcendental moment, transcendental moment, uh, that's uh, that's real uh, and it's an emergent quality. Uh, so it, it's not subjective. Beauty, beauty isn't subjective. It's a real thing that's inherent in a well-made painting. But mm-hmm. the experience of it uh, is, is um, qualified, I suppose, by the experience of the person looking at it. You know, this is a new question. So, you know, we can um, bring it up or not. But it, what would it take then, since it's an individual experience of beauty, and beauty is not subjective, um, there's the old saying, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, but when you're seeing one painting that's very beautiful um, and another one doesn't experience that beauty, do you think that perhaps um, one has more developed sensibilities towards beauty or more developed eyes, or what no. do you think uh, is part of that? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Beauty is the real thing. It's a real quality of that painting. It has the potential to provide the the, uh, the emergent experience uh, to the viewer. Uh, the, uh, you you bring your experiences to beauty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And beauty is is an offered thing by the painting. If I if I spend uh, oh I don't know three months painting uh, this the painting before me. Uh, and, uh, and I put ev- everything I know into making that painting, which is what we all do, right? When we're in the studio, we put everything mm-hmm. we know together to try and achieve this uh, this beauty. Uh, that that painting uh, hopefully has beauty inherent in it. I, I think that's that's a true thing. Everything we do, uh, all our our understanding of how to make beauty is put into that painting. Now that that beauty is a real thing in itself. The painting is a beautiful thing. We approach the painting as an individual, and if those different elements of our experience uh, come to fruition with the painting, then the emergent quality can be present. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> it flips it all upside down, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, I mean, you know, because I'm sitting here thinking... Go ahead, Michael. You're looking upward and outward, not inward and downward. It, there's, a, there's a total flip going on in, in the way we look at the world. Do you know, I, I stopped watching TV about eight years ago, and, and you know, something, I noticed something. I don't see violence. I just don't see it. Yeah. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Hardly ever do I come across any actual violence. 
anymore. And yet, if I, when I was watching TV, I would see violence every day. Right. And it, it, if you flip it upside down and look upward and outward, then, then everything changes, and, and beauty is a real thing. We see it in the landscape. We, we see it in the, in the simple things of life, just, just looking at trees and flowers. I mean, it sounds like some hippie thing, I guess, but, but it, it's true. It, it's there. It's everywhere. It's all around us in nature. It's, it, it's just amazing how much beauty there is in the world. And we need to just look and see and, and allow ourselves to be open to beauty. Uh, who agree with that? <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's just one of the things that you know keeps going through my mind. And, and you know, here we have a whole, um, I don't want to call it a system because it's not really that, but there's a process that you know artists go through which includes submitting your work to be judged, which we always say is subjective, and, and this is a, a new question. So it's almost like if I start down your path of thinking, I should be creating beauty and beautiful paintings and hoping that people connect with them and not really be concerned about any of the other stuff. Yeah, I think I think you 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 should. I I, I don't know who am I to say these things. Right, right, I think right. Having a, a freedom from from worrying, I think that's that's going to make your art better. If you if you're if you're concerned with upward and outward creation of beautiful things, other people will connect with them. Right. Right. And obviously, use the use the stuff that you learn, and we we understand how to make an elegantly composed painting, right? Right, right. And and it's not your work isn't going to isn't going to connect with everybody. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But it right. will connect with some people. Right. Yeah. So if we go one step further with this, you know, which basically leads us to the next question that we had, which we all have our basic skills and rules that we're taught, um, and we work so hard to accomplish those techniques and and work within those rules, if you will. It takes years to develop that. And then someone comes along and says, find your own voice. Right. But do it within these set of rules. Yeah. It can become overwhelming. It can it can be completely overwhelming. I'm sorry, yeah, I, I told mean, We're all like sitting here going, wow, you know, wait a minute. Somebody just opened another door. And, you know, it's like, I guess the more larger encompassing question is, what do I, as a representational artist or a plein air artist or a realist or a classical um, artist, you know, what is it that um, I want my work to say to the generations that are coming down the road? And, um, you know, does that then become truly our voice? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, another thing John never talked about was how many artists there are who just keep working on what they believe is true and, and uh, they keep making fabulous art and they're not in that mainstream sort of uh, uh, tapped-on-the-shoulder uh, group of artists who are the ones. <laughs> but they right. keep making their art and because and they, they love making their art. Mm-hmm. And they, they're they on their own uh, journey to, to explore uh, what they want to do. Uh, and uh, I think that's it. it. That that's it. The 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 privilege we have 
isn't to be, oh, I don't know, David Hockney. The, the privilege we have is to be able to work at making art. Right. Yeah, it's it's um it certainly is a different door than you know I I mean it's, I think because we're all so quiet here you kind of like did slip the picture for us so <laughs> 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 it was you know it's like this big aha moment for us all I think that we're being so quiet but at the same token if I think back to something Kwang Ho said on our one of our programs is you know art is the byproduct for our search for truth. And if I take out the word truth, is art the byproduct of our search for beauty? And is truth beauty? I think that uh, truth and beauty are very closely related. Uh, truth, again, is is a, a real thing. It's it's for real. Uh, in, in post-modernity, there's no room for it because you can't break down truth into its constituent parts and, and have truth. Truth is wet. It's just like water. It's slippery. Mm-hmm. And uh, But that doesn't mean that truth is not true. It, it is true. There are true things. I'm sitting in this chair. I feel the concrete under my feet. It's real. I'm, I'm walking on the real road. And my experience of truth is the same kind of thing as water. It's real, but it's hard to nail it down. That doesn't mean it's not real. Something that's difficult to understand doesn't mean that that's not a real thing. It is true. It's a real thing. Yeah. Interesting. Blanche, you want to follow up with a question? or? Oh, yeah. Let's see. Are there other emergent qualities that you'd like to talk about that we haven't touched on? Uh, well, we've discussed beauty and transcendence and well, uh, briefly, uh, I would I would think because I'm only touching on these things a, a little bit, uh, but uh, I would think sincerity and authenticity. And people people talk a lot about authenticity and what that means. And I would think that uh, authenticity, particularly, is another emergent uh, emergent quality uh, that it's real uh, and you can be authentic in your art. And, and when especially when we're we're working so hard to uh, to create a beautiful thing. Uh, there are there are questions of sincerity and what what are you really trying to say in in your art because I think that's going to be part of what connects with other people, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What what yeah. is the meaning? You know, are you trying to show God? Are you trying to uh, trying to show love? You know, what is what is the sincere outlook of what you're doing? Uh, and again, that's that's been left for a hundred years. We've had no beauty, no sincerity, no authenticity. And uh, when when you look at um, oh, I don't know, nearly everything in in uh, in modern art galleries. Uh, if, if you say the word authenticity about them, you, you start giggling because there's no authenticity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, a, it's a performed thing. The, the objects are performed, uh, and uh, they're, they're they're in the character of a thing, rather of a person, rather than uh, yeah. actually authentically by that uh, person. And I, I think that's quite challenging. Uh, and we 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 I think we really love authenticity in in people's intent. Uh, if we recognize that people really mean it, uh, then we tend to buy into what they do more more completely uh, because we we appreciate that uh, that they want to they want to express something that's heartfelt to them. They're not telling a big fib. Yeah, they're really sincere. Right. Those that's Hudson, a great again, the Hudson River School. You look at those paintings by those guys, and no mm-hmm. doubt they they are absolutely sincere. God is in the landscape. Yeah, and, and, you're right. You and can't it, it see comes that. out of the paintings. It really, yeah. the paintings just uh, just exude that somehow. 
Yeah. And I think it's because they meant it so, so strongly. They really wanted to find that and express it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, Michael, if, if I look at where the art market and the art world, including the critics, um, where they are, they're giving their attention to modernity and to postmodernism. Mm. And yet, we see this incredible representational art being created. Yeah. Um, should we be worried that they're giving all this attention to postmodern art? And <laughs> is there something that we should be doing to bring, you know, not just my art, but representational art as a whole into the limelight? Yes. Okay. Yes, there is. First of all, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the postmodern art world is going to continue. It's going to thrive. They're going to sell all sorts of you know, bits of string and uh, piles of shoes and stuff, and they're going to sell them for $5 million because they're investments. And that uh, that investment market uh, is, is not going to be the same as our market. It's not going to be the same world. Our market is going to build up as this whole movement grows and uh, as we see people talking about it and we, as we see the, the, um, the ideas that drive us, uh, emerging and and uh, as there's a body of work of, of written work that uh, that supports what we're all doing because uh, there's an enormous amount of people doing it, as you said this is a very democratic mm-hmm. movement i think this truly is an american renaissance this is an american renaissance what's going on now uh, in a way that other uh, other renaissances haven't had anything to do with america america's uh, has sort of followed on but this is happening here uh, and now uh, and I think that's hugely important. Uh, and it, again, it was kind of cut off by World War One and World War Two. There was already an emerging American art. Uh, I'm using emerging in a different way there. <laughs> uh, but there was mm-hmm. already this very beautiful American art going on uh, in the 19th century, which uh, was uniquely American. And you can see little bits of it in the Statue of Liberty, for example, and, and uh, uh, in other great, fantastic sculptures that were being uh, produced uh, in that time, uh, and and yet that got kind of killed and crushed by by uh, World War One, World War Two, and then after that they tried to identify a, a new, uh, unique American art, and they found it in Jackson Pollock uh, and the the Abstract Expressionists, and and I guess that's okay. There's some there's some good stuff in in um, in postmodern uh, art. I wouldn't say that all of it's absolute rubbish, but um, uh, but there you go, each one to the, to their own, right? Uh, anyway, so but but this this uh, representational movement that that is clearly happening, uh, I, I think this is where we're going to find American art taking its own form uh, and uh, uh, really uh, expressing uh, the the nature of American democracy in it. Does that make sense? I'm not quite mm-hmm. shaping the language right, but. But it, there's something about it being so democratic that this is the art that the people want and people like and that people want to make. You know, this is genuinely a, a democratic movement. Uh, and that's where I think this um, uh, renaissance, uh, if we're going to use the word renaissance to describe it, that's where, we're, that's where it's happening because it's uniquely American. Kind of a grassroots movement? Yeah. It's, a, it's really quite extraordinary what's going on mm-hmm. and people are going to emerge from it you know i think uh, you, of course you're going to see sort of clustering around the around the artists who really represent it very effectively uh, and and that's going to happen 
It'll take a long time. Right. Do you know so Vasari we... described the uh, Renaissance 150 years after it began? No one knew it was called the Renaissance until he wrote it. We <laughs> 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 were all, all busy just doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you didn't see um, uh, Michelangelo, and uh, maybe Michelangelo might have, but but uh, the the earlier artists who were working in in the late 15th century, they, those guys, they weren't looking at each other and saying, "Hey, we're having a Renaissance now." <laughs> You're exactly right. <laughs> yeah, they were just really into making really great art, and they knew it was yeah. wonderful, and and they had a great time. And I think that's yeah. what we're doing now. Is you know, we just got to make art. We got to make art, and we got to talk about it. Well, and I think that um, the break from the you know, if I think back to the impressionists, and you know, there was a group of them that said, well, okay, if the salon isn't going to accept our work, we'll just exhibit over here. And do it on our own, yeah. you know. So yeah. it's kind of that kind of thing's happening now here. I think as the the grassroots um, movement or renaissance, if you will, is you know yeah, we're John, just saying, uh, well, okay, we'll do it. We'll John, do it. Do it just a different way. Right. John Seed said that it, um, when he he wrote a nice review of track in um, in uh, Art Ltd magazine, which is a totally postmodern uh, magazine. It was kind of strange to see a, a two page spread about track in it. Uh, and awesome to see it. I'm so grateful that they published it. Uh, but it was really neat to see him referring to us as, um, as the, the, the Salon Refusé <laughs> of, of the 21st century. I quite like it. Yeah. Because we are doing it ourselves. You have to. You know, if, we, if yeah. we're going to go knocking on the doors of of, uh, of the establishment, they're all just going to tell us to go away because we don't fit the postmodern uh, ideals that they've sort of uh, fixed themselves to. That's a weird right. thing in itself, by the way, because postmodernity really is just a description of, of what came after the end of modernity, right? And so you have modernity that runs from 1600 to, oh, I don't know, 1900, uh, maybe 1930. Uh, and then um, uh, then postmodernity is just the, the disintegration of that because it obviously doesn't work very well. Uh, so, you know, now... Uh, we're in that postmodern phase. It, all that really describes is a situation of disintegration. Hmm. So we have no need to be afraid of this. It's simply a, 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 an anthropological uh, understanding of the state of the world. That's all, and of the Western world in particular. Well, I think it's, it's just very important to um, taking it back to its simplest form, create your art. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. If you want to be a representational artist, study it, work it, work your find your voice, keep working, keep right. creating, and you know it, it's part of that grass right grassroots movement. And, and then right. you know don't don't expect to get acceptance. No, we have to do that ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Make it work for yourselves. Start a gallery. You know what? If there's no galleries around, then put it in your house. Turn the bottom Mm -hmm. of your house. Move all the furniture out. Turn it into a gallery for for a week. (laughs) Just make it happen somehow. Do something. (laughs) You all have permission. (laughs) How did all those grassroots movements make it? Yeah. That's right. That's and, and right. since you're creating art, you're a little bit less risk. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Michael's following me on that thought for sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, we are actually down to the last 15 minutes of this show. So, 
So um, we're going to go around and do our last question. So, um, Blanche, do you have a last question for Michael? Well, not really a question. I just wanted to thank him for uh, expressing all of these ideas to us and and uh, putting together Track 2012 and 2014, bringing represent, representational artists together. Um, yeah. So we can't have a renaissance. We We need to be brought together. Everyone's out there. Uh, doing their own thing and uh, not connected. Well, the world has changed, hasn't it? You know, one of the things that really came out of track was um, speaking to people uh, who had tried to go to art schools in the 70s and 80s uh, who who really just couldn't find any training at all. Uh, actually, people like Juliet Aristides, who, who uh, I believe had this same experience, Sadie Valeri, same thing, set up Sadie Valeri Atelier over in San Francisco. And these these folks all had that same experience that I did too. You know, there's, there was no representational training uh, then. There just wasn't anything. And now there are so many ateliers. Every major city has at least one atelier uh, in it, and you can go and get traditional uh, training. What's lacking still is getting those uh, ateliers into the universities. Uh, and uh, allowing people to get degrees where they're getting uh, atelier training, traditional training. We're doing it yeah. at CLU, but I think we're pretty much unique. I, I, I hope there's other places that are really driving that, uh, but uh, I don't know um, that many of them. Uh, you can go to the New York Academy, of course, and San Francisco Academy, which both have impressive programs, and uh, down at Laguna, too, impressive programs, and uh, they're all working at uh, doing that. I believe that uh, all of those three that I just named have a master's program, and this this is something to really pursue, uh, to get people who are trained properly, who have an MFA, and then get them into the universities and teaching uh, high-quality traditional uh, studio art. Now, if we can do that, we can we can carry the academy again. Uh, and I'm not saying that we should totally annihilate postmodern art. That's uh, that's silly. There's some great postmodern art out there. But we should definitely have representational art in the academies because that's that's a democratic uh, art form. Yeah. That's, it should be there. And so I would urge uh, as many people as possible to get their MFA uh, in in one of these um, uh, schools that I've mentioned. Again, it's Laguna, uh, San Francisco Academy, and New York Academy all offer MFAs. And get out there, get an MFA so that you can be in the academy, in the universities, and teach traditional technique. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for um, expressing all of this to us tonight. Well, it's my pleasure. Barbara. Well, as I, I think this conversation has been so fascinating, and it seems like um, that it takes a shift in consciousness to see yeah. beauty with with the capital B, and that in mm -hmm. a sense, you know, you leave the the rational mind um, to make that shift. And I think painters are probably familiar with these shifts, maybe into the right side of the brain, where you're not just seeing and trying to to paint separate objects and seeing them as separate objects to render. You know, but rather there's that shift where you're focusing on light and shadow and values, value patterns and the design and, and things can merge together in a shadow and come out in the light if that's what you're focused on. And um, so it just seems like, you know, I, I think again about beauty as, as that capital B and, and seeing it, that we're immersed in it, but that you need to open to it in order mm. to experience it. 
Uh, I think that there's a, a, an important quality in beauty. One of the one of the pieces of it, one of the, like the oxygen and hydrogen of beauty, uh, is imagination. Uh, can yeah. I can I give you another quote? Have, have we yes. got time? Okay, I've, I've, I've read this ridiculously obscure play. Nobody on earth has ever heard of this play. I think there's probably three copies of it left in the entire world, uh, but, but I, I happened to get a hold of it. And the reason I got it was because it, it was called uh, Bianca Visconti, or The Heart Over Task. Now, Bianca Visconti was a, a very important lady in, in, um, in the uh, middle of the 15th century. She was the Duchess of Milan, and quite an extraordinary woman, by the way. And she fought in battles against the Venetians. And they're just a really amazing woman. Uh, anyway, uh, this play, uh, Bianca Visconti or The Heart Over Task by Nathaniel Parker. And there's a bit in there uh, when there's two of the characters are talking. And one of them uh, begins the conversation. He says, what were the value of thy red stockings over black if it were always night? And none. What were beauty if it were always dark? The same as none. What were green leaves better than brown, or diamonds better than pebbles, or gold better than brass, if it were always dark? No better, truly. Then the shining of the sun, in a manner, dyes your stockings, creates beauty, makes gold and diamonds, and paints the leaves green? I think it does. Now mark, there be gems in the earth, qualities in the flowers, creatures in the air you never dreamed of. There be treasuries of gold and silver, temples and palaces of glorious work, rapturous music, and feasts the gods sit at, and all seen only by a sun which to you is black as Erebus. Lord, Lord, where is it? In my head. All these gems, treasures, palaces, and fairy harmonies I see by imagination. Am I not richer now? Ah! Oh. Oh. Uh, <laughs> bravo! Isn't that the best thing? And no one's ever read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't say no one. You did. <laughs> Send it to us. <laughs> Is this the one that you were translating from Latin? No, no, no. Latin's okay. hard. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm still a long way off of being, uh, being really fluent in Latin. I can tell you that uh, uh, you can carry a boat to water, and that the sailors sail around the island, and that the beautiful girls are in the house. But that's about the limit <laughs> of my Latin right now. <laughs> but it's getting better. <laughs> my, my sweetheart Iwa is, um, is kind of. Uh, being driven crazy by me talking to her in in sort of pigeon Latin, <laughs> and she doesn't know any of it, so it's just gibberish. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> so can't you learn yeah. Chinese? <laughs> uh, that's funny. So, um, Michael, I'm going to give you a chance. Is there anything uh, a bit more that you uh, would like to mention? Um, I know we talked a little bit about the Man Show at the beginning, and. Um, mm -hmm. You're working on a new piece of art uh, in your studio. Yeah, I am. A little bit about that, or? Sure. Um, I'm, I'm looking at it right now because I'm sitting in my in my studio. Uh, it's right right now. It's bright orange uh, because I've done only the ceiling coat, and I started working on uh, on the figures, picking them out. I, I posted a picture of it on uh, Facebook recently. If you want to take a look. And by the way, I'd invite all the listeners to go ahead and like um, like me on Facebook. Go right ahead and uh, friend me. I mean, not like me, friend me, uh, <laughs> and uh, connect on there. Um, uh, anyway, so I'm working away on uh, on this one. It's uh, five uh, angels 
uh, and uh, a man and a woman in the foreground. Uh, and it's um, it's a, a very personal painting. Uh, the, the the figure on the right is a, a dear friend of mine and colleague uh, Jarvis, uh, and uh, on the left uh, is um, uh, Randy Toland, who's another uh, dear friend from from the university here. Uh, the girls floating up in the air uh, actually are all the same uh, model. She's one of my students. Uh, but uh, it, it's uh, I think it's going to be quite a painting. I'm really enjoying painting it. It has that emotional uh, connection to it. Uh, because it's quite personal, uh, and it's uh, it's going well. I'm enjoying it. Uh, it's uh, it's called the day. The day. The day. D a y. D a y. Oh, yeah. D a y. Day. Yeah, okay. day. Yeah. 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 And I saw that on the Facebook page. I think we talked about it a little bit um, on our phone call the other day, and yeah, uh, I'm going to be excited to watch that progress. So make sure you yeah. you know. I'll keep putting, uh, yeah, people seem to like uh, watching the the paintings emerging gradually from uh, from these kind of orange, sketchy things, and seeing them turn into into real paintings. So I'll keep yeah. watching pictures of them. I do, I do think that a lot of folks that are not artists, um, you know, if you try to bring the process, because I do a lot of work in process, um, paint postings too on my Facebook page, and um, actually all all of us here on the discussions are on uh, Facebook, so if, if you want to try and find us, you can search us and, and friend us as well. Um, and Amno Art Chat and all of them have pages out there, so uh, be sure you can you can look at those as well or, or like those as well. But um, I think it's the interest in the process and watching it emerge, and I'm working on something right now that I, I'm not sharing because it's um, actually going to be in a contest and it's got a really unique concept and I, I don't want to share that right now. It's killing me because the paint is coming out nice. <laughs> and I would love to share it with my friends, but it's going to have to wait until like May, June, or July, I think, it's somewhere in that time frame. But it's just, you know, it's, uh-huh. like I said, it kills me more not to share it and talk about mm. the process that we go through in creating these these things. and. So, yeah, so that's, that's really isn't it isn't it amazing how democratic Facebook is? I and mean, Facebook has made this kind of thing possible. You know, right. track track wouldn't be possible without Facebook, frankly. Yeah. The the, the identification yeah. of people who are involved in making representational art would be really difficult without track without uh, Facebook uh, to make those connections and spread the word about uh, you know other representational artists who are out there. Right. Yeah, so it's um it's good. You mentioned also that um, Track 2012 has some conference papers that are going to be published and yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully within website. a month or two, I'll I'll be publishing that on tra- on Facebook and uh, on the website, of course. And uh, okay. you know we'll we'll be making them avail- that available pretty soon. Uh, our typesetter is working on those and uh, has promised me that I'll have a draft by um uh, by the end of the week. I think he said. I, I forget exactly what his words were now. And and so I, I should be seeing a draft pretty soon. And these were the papers that the presenters presented at right, the conference. Right, at Track 2012, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so tell us a little bit, um, just for those that, this isn't it's like a workshop, seminar-like thing. I mean, you have people demonstrating and things like that. Right, it's a, a bit of a mixture. Yeah, 
Yeah, this um, this isn't the same as uh, as weekend with the masters uh, or anything like that. Um, we are going to have demos, of course. They're very popular and people love them, and we love them. I, I, I loved seeing David Kassan doing his demonstration last time. It was just a, a gas to watch him building a drawing. It was so so much fun. And uh, we have our vendor there. You know, Limoncello had uh, had a, a booth there, and they were giving away free Limoncello, which was so so cool. And we'll be doing that same kind of a setup um, uh, this year. We'll have evening um, uh, demonstrations of, uh, uh, by different artists. I don't know who yet. We have to nail the, all that down uh, still. It's very early days. We're a year away, of course, from the actual conference at the moment. Uh, so that'll all, that'll all uh, appear uh, in the next, um, the next month, next few months. Uh, but uh, th so we do have the demos, uh, but we also will be having the academic papers uh, in the afternoons, and we'll have a couple of trips to local galleries too. Uh, so uh, one of them will be here at the at the Quan Phong Gallery at CLU, uh, and we'll be bringing uh, bringing conference goers here for that. Uh, and then um, the other one, I don't know exactly where that's going to be yet, but I'm, I, I have a good idea. Uh, of where it's going to be, but, but we'll, again, we'll make announcements about that when things are nailed down flat. Uh, and then, uh, so academic papers as well. Um, and uh, as we mentioned earlier on, uh, you can see the um, uh, the the uh, proposal there of what we'd like to see the academic papers about. That doesn't mean that's what we're going to get by any means. We'll have all sorts of papers. And then uh, the two keynote speakers, uh, Roger Scruton and Juliet Aristides. Uh, and probably four uh, featured papers, just like we did last year, uh, who will be important figures who um, who have something to say uh, that's uh, that's going to be a, a key topic. Right. And then naturally you have like some kind of panel discussions, and I'm assuming questions yeah. to the audience that the right. to the presenters. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there'll be a couple of panel discussions uh, with, again, influential figures on the panels uh, so that we can have a bit of a discussion and invite the audience to participate uh, in in uh, the making of ideas uh, and, discuss, you know, it contributing to the discussions and uh, uh, what's going on. Uh, I think it's uh, it's going to be a great conference. Right. So uh, and I just wanted to uh, take an opportunity again, Michael, to thank you for the opportunity to be a part of Track um, for for all of us at Ammo Art Chat, and um, thank you for your time. Um, I know that we've been talking a lot over the last couple of days and couple of weeks, and I'm sure we'll be talking in the future <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, thank you so much for your time. I know that that you're a very busy, busy, busy man, and uh, we do appreciate you talking to us tonight and making your special announcement on the show. All of that was was, was great. So thank you so much. Well, my pleasure. And, and can I just wish you a happy birthday? Uh, because okay. I think that's a wonderful <laughs> thing. You've been doing it for a year. That's incredibly cool. Uh, no, uh, two years? One year? Two years? One year. One year. And, right, one year. One year and, this this and is your first that's yeah, a wonderful were... thing. So congratulations. I think that's a marvelous thank thing. Thank you. And, uh, thank and again, you. thank you so much for having me. And uh, I'll look forward to talking to you again uh, over the course of the year and uh, bringing uh, other people who are involved uh, with track to you. Yeah, this sounds great. It would be a wonderful opportunity. So we're running out of time. So good night, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, stay tuned for more announcements about track. And uh, all everything, I guess, the next show will be April 18th with Scott Christensen. So good night, everyone, and thank you. Good night. Good night, all.